Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. All right, guys, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. On this episode today, we are going to be interviewing a guy who's running one of, if not the largest wholesaling businesses in the United States. Josiah Grimes is in the house. I'm going to be interviewing him and talking to him about his history, how he got into real estate, what he's doing now, and how on earth do you wholesale as many deals as they are? And I think you're going to be blown away by like how simple it actually is. It's not that complicated. It's a really simple business. And Josiah has been in the business for a long time. And he's going to be sharing about you know how they've grown by keeping it simple. It's not by complicating it. It's by keeping things really simple. So I'm excited about learning from Josiah as we go through here, how to grow a large wholesaling business without all of the bloat and overhead and stress and complication and all of that stuff. So if you're interested, in that, you're in the right place. All right. First, though, quick announcement. This show is brought to you by partnerwithjoe.net. Yes, I am sponsoring my own podcast. <laughs> if you go to partnerwithjoe.net right now, you're going to get my free offer software. And this is a software that helps you calculate multiple different cash deals. It's going to give you a cover letter, a one-page contract, and a couple two pages after that supporting your offer, giving, uh, showing the benefits of working with you and stuff like that. And it's completely free. Just go to partnerwithjoe.net. And after you get that software. It's going to be a little training video explaining how you can partner with me on deals. I'll partner with you on deals. I'll lend money on your deals. And uh, it's only seven bucks a month. You should check it out, partnerwithjoe.net right now. And uh, I think you're going to like it. Even if you don't want to work with me, uh, even if you don't need any new training, uh, you're going to get a lot of value out of the uh, out of the software. The free version helps you calculate cash offers, multiple different cash offers. It helps you figure out the ARV, the after repair value, the value of the house. It helps you figure out the repairs. Just a few clicks. The pro version, which you get inside of partnerwithjoe.net, will give you multiple, it'll give you two different lease option offers and two different owner financing offers that you can send to the sellers. And it, the cool thing about the, the reports that it gives you that you can send to the sellers is that it does the selling for you. It explains what a lease option is for you. It explains the benefits of owner financing for you. And uh, you can get now give the sellers options. So all my intent with this is to show you and help you figure out like, all right, now, instead of getting one out of 30 offers accepted, maybe I can get two or three out of 30 offers accepted, double or triple triple your lead, your deal flow without actually any gener even generating any more leads. Does that make sense? So check out, uh, check out partnerwithjoe.net right now. Cool. All right. Enough of that. Let's bring Josiah, Josiah Grimes. How are you, man? Dude, I'm doing awesome, bro. How are you, man? Really good. Really good. I have heard of your name and followed you for quite a while now. You've been in the business a long time. Very active in the business, but you know, you've never been the front face, you know, the the guy who's kind of like everybody knows about and heard about. You you've been kind of the the secret ninja behind the scenes, as it were. Thank you, bro. Is that a fair way to <laughs> is that a fair yeah, way to I'll say take it? secret ninja? That sounds that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah and we've met a couple times before at networking events and masterminds and stuff like that. But I'm glad to finally get you on the show, Josiah. Dude, I'm glad to be here, man. Super yeah, glad to be here. And I have to check out Partner with Joe. I'll have, have to look at that after this, dude. I didn't I know, know you 
I should probably should have known that you had that, but it seems cool. So I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, I'll look at that afterwards. Cool. All right. So uh, introduce everybody to you. Like you're in Phoenix right now, right? Yep. Yeah. Everybody's in Phoenix. That's, that's a dumb question. It's hilarious, bro. It's so, <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing you're in, you're at a St. Louis, right? Yeah. Dude, Go Cardinals. Holding down the Midwest for us. I appreciate you. Okay. I tell you, I love the Midwest, especially <laughs> on days like yesterday. I went golfing. It was in the mid 60s. Just incredible. Yeah, awesome. All right. So uh, you're in Phoenix. You do you do wholesaling. How'd you get started in the business? You got, um, okay. So if I'm making this story too long. You know, it's funny. Like Once you've told your own story multiple times, then it's hard to know if you're just going on for years or whatever. So I'll try to keep it nice and short. So <laughs> That's fine, man. But uh, yeah, so I basically, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur even since I was, you know, four years old, something like that. So I had like lots of inventions, lemonade stands, snack shops, sold snacks out of my locker until I got shut down by, you know, my principal <laughs> in my high school, sold science projects, just a bunch of stuff. You know, really wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was always driven that way. And uh, so when I was 17, I went to what was a, a effectively like a pitchathon, basically, right? Where and you can learn a ton at those events. So it's it's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. And it's just one, you know, hour long or hour and a half long segment after the next where people are introducing you to new business concepts. And so I, I got invited by a friend. I went to that. And one of the segments, uh, you know, and I'm there like a little kid in a candy shop. Like, this is so cool. There's all these different ways to make money. So that was really fun. Was uh, this um, was this learning annex by any chance? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, the guy that put it on. Oh, man, I got to remember his name. Corey Sanchez was one of the guys. He's a, a buddy of mine. And he's the one that put it on. Okay. It was through like Mo, Mojo Video Marketing or something like that. Okay, never mind. Anyhow, so one of the guys that was there was talking about how he can take $10 and make $30,000 in real estate, right? And my background, what you know, reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and that type of stuff, you know, owning rentals was a big part of the strategy for being wealthy. So I was like, okay. And I was like, $10 and you can make $30,000. And I wasn't one of the guys that, you know, would like raise my hand and ask questions a lot. But I was like, I got to ask, you know, like, so at the, at the end of the thing, um, I was like, hey, so you said, you know, 10 you know, you said 10 to make 30 grand. Was that $10,000 or was that $10? And the guy was like, no, $10. I was like, what the? Dude, like, bro, how do you do that? Yeah. And so, and it was, you know, the concept was obviously wholesaling uh, and the $10 was just your earnest money deposit. Yeah. But so I talked to, so after that, I was just talking to the guy that cuts my hair and I was saying, uh, you know, I was like, hey man, have you, have you ever heard of anything like this? He said, well, actually, I, you know, I've got a client that that does exactly that. I was like, are you serious? I was like, really? He's like, yeah, he does it all the time. I was like, no way, man. I thought that for sure was fake. And so he's like, I, I can't give you, and I asked for his, his information. He's like, I can't give you his information, but he just launched a like social media platform for real estate investors. Uh, and you know, I can give you that and you can try to track him down from there. So long story short, that was, that was Cody Sperber's, you know, when he launched a clever investor, I can't remember what it was called, it was like clever investor social or something like that. So, um, I reached out to him there. I bought his, you know, thousand dollar product or whatever. What year was that? Probably? That was 2011. Yeah. Okay. 2011. So I went through that. Um, then he, it was really dope. He gave me a, uh, um, support call and basically said, Hey, I want to check on the course, see how it was going. And, uh, I was like, cool. Yeah. Any advice you have for me? He's like, well, really you should go down to the auctions and you should find someone that can mentor you and like help you through the process. And, uh, normally I'm not like, uh, normally I'm, you know, if I sense that someone's indirectly telling me not to ask something or whatever, I'm not disagreeable enough to just be like, to just ask the question or say what I want anyway. But this time I was just like, well, could you mentor me? Or why don't you mention me? Something like that. 
And yeah, yeah. Uh, he more or less said like, uh, yeah, I don't really have time to do that. And I'm busy, but you should find someone and, you know, best of luck. So probably a month went by. I had watched all the training, reviewed it all. I bought like two, 150 bandit signs or something like, you know, the last money I had after the thousand bucks, whatever that I spent on, um, spent on the course. And I just, I texted him. I said, Hey man, I bought all these signs. I'll put them out for you for free, wherever you want. I'll work for you for free. You know, I just want to learn. And so about a week later, he's like, okay, you got your shot. Meet me for lunch. So I met him for lunch. Uh, my first uh, first assignment was to get a, to, to um, lease or to sell, kind of sell slash lease a uh, lease option hat property that we had in West Phoenix. And God just hooked it up. Literally, like I put out a few bandit signs. I got one phone call. I cannot tell you how nervous I was for those go phone calls, man. It was hilarious. But uh um got one phone call. The first phone call I got, um, wanted to go see it, went out to the property to go see it, showed him the property. Cody had given me one line to use. He said, if like they seem like they like it, then you say, Okay, do you want to see what this looks like on paper? He's like, That's the line. That's what you use, right? To get them to the cl- the segs of the clothes, kind of. And so I was like, okay, I got that. So after they were walking around the house for like 35 minutes, I was like, so do you guys want to see what this looks like on paper? <laughs> They're like, yeah, we'll do that. So, so that was kind of my, yeah. So from there, free internship or where I just worked for free for, for Cody for a while, six months, a year, something like that. Uh, then was uh, employed with Cody or whatever, employed at uh, his education company. And then we became uh, partners in uh, the investment business, probably three-ish years, three-something years into it. So, yeah, yeah, man. So that was kind of, that was my my start into into real estate. So pretty, the other thing that I think is interesting is as I was going through different, you know, being an entrepreneur and different stuff, I didn't think real estate was the one that I wanted to pursue, right? Like the ones that I thought were cooler was like making money online. You know, like I thought that seemed... I thought that seemed cooler than real estate at first. And uh, God was like, no, I'm, I'm going to open the door here for you in, in real estate. So, and so real like, estate's oh, way easier. <laughs> Dude, it is, bro. It is. is way easier than making money selling info <laughs> it, products. It is, man. It is. So, but that was the, the door that opened and God blessed me with it. And it's, it's been good ever since. So, yeah. Very cool. So that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years ago that I started. Yep. All right. So 10 years ago, and then recently you've been working with Keegley mm-hmm. and leading that engine, that machine. What What is that all about? What is Keegley? Okay. So bro, first off, I love Keegley. So I'm definitely partial. Um, so basically, um, so Keegley, I started with Hunter Runyon, Jamil Damji, and uh, Rahima um, Atari. I can always... Oh, we got to remember. So there's, there's kind of three or four partners in that. Is that right? Four. Yeah, technically four. Uh, yeah, technically four in Keegley. And so we started working together about four and some years ago now. Okay. And just we more or less, we were struggling to get from where at least I was struggling specifically to get from where we're doing more than, you know, three deals a month. Because it was just like, and this wasn't, this was pre-Keegley. And so I was really trying to figure that out. You know, it was just like, it was such a freaking struggle you know, to get past three deals a month. And uh, if you had, to, if I had three deals, I was like, I can't do anything else. You know, like I got to focus just on these deals. And so that was kind of what we set out to solve. And a good chunk of that was had been previously solved by Jamil. Like Jamil's just a smart dude. Okay. He's been previously solved by what? Jamil. Like Jamil is just wicked smart guy. Uh, and Hunter, honestly. But we kind of had this perfect marriage where Jamil was awesome on the acquisition side. And then Hunter and I were great on the disposition side. 
really, I should say, Hunter was fantastic at finding and building the buyer relationships or finding the buyer relationships. And I might have been like that middle piece that kind of fits between because I, I was good at the I was good at the like relationship side of of selling and things like that. Right. So I was really I was skilled there. And then Hunter was ex- like extremely operationally skilled. But Hunter's focus is more like introverted type work. That's what he enjoys. Uh, whereas mine was more extroverted. So Jamil would be the one bringing in the deals and then Hunter and I would be the ones that were fulfilling on it. Uh, and we really realized that where our strong suits were, were on the disposition side, right? Like selling selling the properties, building those relationships, finding those buyers, uh, being very diligent at that. And then we found out like, hey, if we pair with people that are focused on the acquisition side, right, that are negotiating with sellers, hey, we can make this a win-win because they're oftentimes getting in a deal and either one of two things that we could do for them is we found out we could always sell higher for the most part. Literally, we could always sell higher than what they were getting. So that was cool. And generally, we could sell faster and more consistently. So that's like a superpower, especially for, you know, someone that wants to do high volume on the acquisition side, it's to be able to couple them or partner with them in that. And so that was really our our model, right? We were able to to jump in. The benefit to us was that we didn't have to focus so heavily on the acquisition side. And then the benefit to them is they didn't have to focus so heavily on the disposition side. And so we started making strategic partnerships like that and to the benefit of both sides where we both amplified our business because of it. And that was really like our start to like the framework that we use to grow, you know, to really grow Key Glee. And so I like what you you said before, as far as in a lot of ways, very simple. You know, there's not, there's, it's not a ton of magic. Yeah. <laughs> not, I mean, <clears throat> maybe there's some magic, but um, there's the magic in the fact that it's a repeatable paint by numbers process. And what you have to do though is paint. You know, and you have to be consistently going through the process. And then uh, uh, now, really, the the challenges and the things that are the things that I'm focusing on are, you know, as we scale and we get larger, right? We're uh, we've also got, we've got like 56 uh, franchises operating now as well. And so as we scale and we continue to grow, it's now businesses move from like very creative at the beginning. You know, you have to be like, this is your little graph, right? <clears throat> XY graph, whatever. Businesses are really creative at the beginning and then they need to become operationally efficient to lock in those gains. So if you come up with something creatively really smart, well, then you need to create a process around it so that you lock in those gains and then you can continue to build on that foundation creatively. Whereas what a lot of people do is they do one of two things. They either uh, get way too, uh, you know, get way too creative, but never operationally efficient. So they, they come up with something awesome and then they're like, I need to start on this next thing. So they lose the first thing and then they start on the next thing, right? So their business always looks kind of like this and they're never in the same strategy. Uh, whereas some people also be the flip side of that, the other side of the dit road, you know, you're in the ditch again, but on the other side is when you're too operationally efficient and you take all the creativity out of it. And that's where you get like Blockbuster, Codex, Sears, that type of stuff. And so finding that awesome balance where you can bring in the operational efficiency, which is always a challenge, but then not use that to kind of set up, lock in your gains essentially. And then you can still be creative to continue to continue to be competitive and continue to grow. And so that's really my my focus now. And then heavily, obviously, on, on training managers and all the yeah. fun stuff that comes with that. But yeah. All right. So, so those of you that don't know, and I've had uh, I've had uh, Jamil Damji on my podcast before. Super nice guy. Very uh, smart. Mm-hmm. Um, he started a company called Key Glee. And Key Glee, everyone t- tilts their head when they hear that. K-E-E-G-L-E-E. Key, no, K E Y. Yeah. Happy Keys. Yes. Happy Keys. 
Geek Glee. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So anyway. <laughs> I'll just leave it. <laughs> how did he come up with that name anyway? Geek or how did Jamil? Yeah. Dude, first off, Jamil's way cooler than I am. So you should go watch his podcast. Okay. That guy's dope. Love that guy. Biggest sweetheart in the world. Extremely dude. Jamil's just this it's freaking insane. Like if you listen to him on the phone negotiating, it's just wild, bro. He's just so good. And and so loving. You know, it's like it's all it's all good. It's not manipulative. Manipulative. It's not weird. It's just let's find the best win. I learned so much from that guy. Okay, all of that to say, the way we came up with it, we honestly, I I don't know the exact story other than we tried a bunch of names. Originally, we were going to name the name it Home Max, and then we found out that was like trademarked, and so that wasn't going to work. And we were like, we don't know if we really like Home Max that much anyway. So then we tried just come up with random names. Like I could probably find these texts. And it's like some of the whack, like some <clears throat> pretty whack names, honestly. <laughs> like, no, that's not gonna work, not gonna work. And then we're like, well, what well, you know, what's kind of the goal here? What are we trying to do? We're like, well, we wanna, you know, our mission is there's lots of kind of bad players in the real estate space, especially in the wholesale space, right? You know, the types of guys that will fist fight you at the auction or will, you know, say, Hey, I got a great deal for you. You write me the earnest check directly. And then you write them the earnest check directly, but title can't clear. So you can't close the deal. And then they just keep your earnest check. <laughs> You're like, freaking hey, this guy. And then they go do it again and again and again, right? So there was some bad peeps in the space, right? And so we... Our thought was like, okay, what we want to do is we want to create a good alternative, like where we're extremely consistent, we're a God-fearing company, uh, you know, where it's just like based in Christian morals and we want this to be good, like really, really good. And so then we were kind of, okay, well, what kind of falls into that? That's also, you know, a little bit cutesy, fun, modern type stuff. And uh, I think I'm sure it was Jamil that came up with it. He was like, glee key. Key glee. And we were, we told ourselves like we were going to end the, the search like that night. And when he was like Keegley, we were all like, "That's that, I like that. Let's do that." So that's cool. That was a uh, yeah. The origin it's memorable. Of the- and and here we are spending five minutes talking about it. <laughs> I know. Sorry, guys. Sorry. I don't, it's probably probably not going to help your real estate investment businesses. No, it's cool. <laughs> all right. So Keegley, the main thing you guys do is you provide the buyers for deals. Mm-hmm. So wholesalers are out there doing all the hard work. Not not hard work, but they're doing the the front end. Work legwork of finding the deals, right? Mm -hmm. They bring them to you guys and you have the systems and processes in place to bring the buyers to the deal. And um, I think, uh, are you guys... Is to be an owner of a franchise of Keegley, do you need to be? Do you need to have your broker's license, or does that become an issue at all in what you're doing here? You don't. I mean, there's a couple states. You know, what I mean, like if you're in Illinois, it's probably best to get one. So there's a couple places where it's you know advised to get a to spend the two weeks and take the take the two tests or whatever, right? Spend the four hundred dollars on the school and six hundred bucks to get your association and stuff. So I mean, there's a couple places where we would advise that. If you're the owner, though, being licensed really isn't that important. It's once you start to hire, you know, once you actually start. And then obviously, I'm not an attorney, can't give legal advice. But, you know, educationally speaking, what it matters is when you have people negotiating on your behalf, right? Because then that's basically implied agency. So they're going to take the contract out for you, but the contract's in your name and they're going to negotiate with the seller and sign. Then that person needs to be licensed because they're technically kind of representing you. And so that's yeah. what we, that's the happy medium. The owner doesn't need to be licensed, but um, as they hire on and build their team, that team does need to be licensed. Yeah. All right. So basically what, you know, people bring you the deals, you have the best buyers and you, you, you the, how to explain how the paperwork works for a beginner who's never heard of this or is a new, new to the business. How does the paperwork work between the A to B, the wholesaler 
who's got a contract with the seller and they bring it to you. Okay. Yeah, it's easy. So they've got, you know, the A to B contract here. Sorry, here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I always get it mixed up on videos, whatever. Yeah, no, it's weird. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, so they've got, the, they've got their, uh, you know, their A to B contract. And then there's a few different ways. So they'll call and we can set it up for them. But generally what we'll do is we'll just do an assignment to us. So we have equitable interest to sell and then we'll assign to the buyer. The other option is, you know, they'll give us an option. So we'll get like a one page option that gives us maybe a five day window to sell it. Um, and then during that five day window, if we sell it, we exercise our option. Then we just sign an assignment and then assignment to our end buyer. So there's two assignments, no extra title, title fees. The other option is based on what you know they're making on the A to B side. They might we might choose instead to either double it, so A to B contract to a B to C to us, and then we assign to our buyer, right? So that our buyer is seeing just the fee that uh, the portion that so we're you, making. So you'll actually close on it and buy it and turn around and sell it immediately to your end buyer. Either that or we'll, we'll, so we'll either do a simultaneous close or absolutely we'll just close on it ourselves. So that's the other thing too is like, let's say you have a deal and it was supposed to close and the buyer fell out. And so now it needs to close tomorrow. And it's a deal where like, well, we like that deal. You know, like that deal will for sure sell. Then absolutely we'll just, we'll go ahead and pull it down and close it for you. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Which is, which is like one of those things I really wish I had more of when I was starting in real estate. You know, like, <laughs> cause when you do that and you're like, you promise the seller it's going to sell. And then, you know, you're like, yeah, it's good. It's, it's going to close. And then your buyer backs out. You're just like, oh, this, this blows. This is not oh, good. Yeah. And that, and that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. So, um, I remember so clearly too, when we, we started doing that, um, back in 2012, mm-hmm. where we were doing a bunch of seller marketing and was talking to Kent Clothier, who yeah. has a book called Reverse Wholesaling. And I'd recommend it. you guys go check that book out on Amazon. It's called Reverse Wholesaling. And he said, bro, you need to, how many buyers do you have? I said, well, I don't know. You got 500 buyers. He goes, no, no, no. Like, you, you, how did he phrase it? Well, yeah, he said, uh, it's it's much easier to shop for what buyers want than to sell them what you have, right? So if you have a bunch of buyers and you know they're looking for three bedrooms and these certain zip codes, go shop for that. Go get it and then sell it to them. Um, so I, I started thinking about that. And thinking, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So what we did is we started finding our buyers and asking them more specifically, what do you want? And then we started uh, doing some direct mail to buyers that were already buying out-of-state properties in other states. So for example, we went to um, Marion County, Indiana, and we pulled a list of all the buyers who were buying in Marion County from outside of Indiana. And we sent them letters saying, hey, we're the premier real estate investing company in St. Louis. If you're looking for deals, call us. We wouldn't get a ton of calls, but the few that we did were really good buyers. And we would always, that phone number on that letter, I remember so clearly, went to my acquisition manager's cell phone number. We wanted somebody to answer those calls. And so we started building up an active list of buyers already comfortable with buying deals out of state. And then now we had about a good 10 or 12 really good buyers. And so then we just started talking to every wholesaler and investor we knew in the St. Louis area and telling them, hey, we've got a million dollars burning a hole in our pocket. We're looking for deals. Send us everything you've got. And uh, it totally like within a matter of a couple months, everything changed. We stopped doing any seller marketing. All And we had people bringing us deals for our buyers that they were just happy to make $500, right? They were just happy. Some of them even said, listen, I just want to take care of the seller. I promised them I would close and I haven't. My buyer backed out. Yeah. And they were just happy to get to, to save face with the seller. And so we would pay them something still, but like, yeah, there are so many people listening to this. There are so many wholesalers out there that your deal falls through and uh, 
you, you have to go back to the seller to try to get another extension or to renegotiate a lower price or something like that. It's, it's embarrassing. But if you had somebody like Josiah Grimes, or if you were like Josiah, right, you've got buyers now with money. It makes everything so much easier. These were the easiest deals to wholesale. And we went from doing a couple, three a month to a couple, three a week within a matter of months, because we had, we, we, we just had the money. Right. Yeah. And, and people started bringing us their deals. And isn't that, am I correct in saying like, that's a much easier way to wholesale? <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? I think so. I mean, dude, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. A uh, hundred times over, man. So, and that's, that's super cool. The, uh, um, that's great. dude. And the, the one bit there, maybe that I would adjust slightly or actually, no, I think, so I think that whole thing is fantastic. And then as you grow that, you grow your buyer base Really, you want to get it so that any deal you've got a buyer for, right? Yeah. That's the, the ultimate thing. Because that was one thing that we tried to do as well, is figure out exactly what the buyers want and then go source the property for that. And that works, but it's more fun when you have a buyer kind of for everything. You know what I mean? Then you're just like, okay, send me whatever deal you've got and I can find you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, I mean, basically, that's just the evolution of well, kind of what to do we that. Were, we were... We were kind of pretending, as it were, not necessarily pretending because mm-hmm. we were, but we were like, we were the new hedge fund in town, right? Yeah. We were the big, we, that's how we positioned ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're the big Wall Street money machine here in town. We're looking for deals. We've got a million dollars burning a hole in our pocket. We need deals. We need inventory. Mm-hmm. And once people heard about that, they would bring us their deals. And um, it was fantastic. We had the best buyers. And the, yeah. and the guy I was working with at the time, we split up uh, as friends um, just because he was doing 90% of the work and uh, I was doing nothing practically. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's still doing, this has been eight years, still mm-hmm. averaging 90 to 100 deals a year. Bro, that's wild. Isn't that awesome? So cool. So cool, dude. That's awesome. Um, he did eventually get his license. He just figured it was easier to have his real estate license to do it. Yeah. But he, he yeah. still d- gets paid through assignment fees, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so talk about some of the, uh, wh- what are some of the best ways to find these buyers for your deals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question, man. So, and I thought about this too, because I, I anticipated this question a little bit, because it's the one that's it's important, you know? <laughs> so like, um, and so I was like, okay, well, thinking about it, I mean, obviously, and maybe it's based on where someone's at, where they're starting, right? But most of the time, people know where to get the buyers. But knowing where to get the buyers is not too tough. Like, and everything's. And then I'll share a little bit how we rank them. But like buyers, so tax record buyers, buyers that have bought, you know, in cash are good buyers. I, I should rank them like this: if they bought someone else's wholesale property, then they're a top tier buyer. Second tier buyer is your tax record buyer that have paid cash. Now that person might have paid cash for their own personal property. Doesn't mean they're not interested in, in an investment property. Most of the time, they'll want like an investment rental or something like that, which is cool. Um, so that's the second tier, and then third tier is basically like all of your social media buyers, all of your uh, you know real estate agents that might have buyers, that type of stuff, right? And so you can you can reach them through conversations on Facebook, Facebook groups. Uh, you know, stuff like just any, any social media platform you can think of, basically you can, you can find buyers. Uh, and then similarly agents, there's lots of, lots of ways that you can go after, you know, finding agents, um, either through, I mean, you can just do a quick Google search and pull up a bunch of phone numbers. If you've got the MLS access, you've got all their contact information in there. You can just call through, um, you know, if you're emailing, you gotta be careful with that because you don't want to just blast email. 
Um, you know, you don't want to create a MailChimp, upload the list, and then just email everyone. You'll get you know spam or you'll get shut down by MailChimp or whatever uh, email marketer you're using. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if you do it in like little drills, you know, little you know, eighty at a time or something like that through your personal Gmail, maybe you can do that uh, and get some inbound uh, inbound agents that have buyers. But that's like that part of it is not too complicated, right? <clears throat> so you're either grabbing them from they've closed on another wholesale property, which you can do that in lots of different ways. Obviously, lots of different ways from um, just looking at like, okay, yeah, this deal just sold. I wait two weeks. Now it's closed. Who is the buyer? Sweet, awesome. Um, and if you've got some unspoken agreements with people in your, you know, your community that you you're not going to look at their buyers, you're not they're not going to look at yours. You know, okay, you get you want to respect those two. That's cool. Um, but those are your top tier buyers. Then uh, tax record buyers, you can find those lots. Well, one, there's tons of services that provide you with tax record buyers. Joe, you probably know these services better than I do. You might even have like uh, a link for a special link for them or something like that. But uh, um, where you can download tax record lists. You know what I mean, and uh, basically it's all cash buyers, or or uh, some are even even you know some of us are even fancier words. It show them shows that they flipped the property, right? So they you know bought and then within a certain amount of time relisted the property. So that's an especially good buyer. Um, but anyhow, once you once you've gone after those buyers, it's just consistency on getting going after them. The next thing that you want to care about is you want to rank them. You know what I mean, and how much you should care about them, and you want to start to build a relationship with them, and that's really where the magic is, right? Because you can have an absolute rock. Oh, okay, sorry. Last buyer you got to add is your institutional hedge funds, pensions, those those types of buyers, and going after them is a little bit more complicated, right? So going after them, you the way you can find them if you go to like LandGrid, you can look through and see who's the largest owner of property in your state, and then normally you're not looking for the biggest hedge funds because those are the ones that want a three day, three to seven day, 10 day inspection sometimes, right? And the agent that's making the offer isn't the one that confirms the purchase. So the agent says, let's put a deal together and writes on it. And the agent maybe has a 25% hit rate where they don't cancel. You know what I mean? So the likelihood that it's going to go through the agent is pretty slim. The, the likelihood that they're going to burn up some of your inspection period with their inspection period is pretty high. Um, so the big hedge funds aren't necessarily the ones you want to do a lot of business with. Unless you can get directly to their the person that's in, in charge of their purchasing, right? It might be their portfolio manager, might be their asset manager, might be the purchasing agent. You know, there's a few different titles for for that, that person. If you can get directly to that person at a large hedge fund and get them to waive the inspection period, close all cash, it's great. <clears throat> it's amazing. You're going to sell a ton of deals to them. They're going to pay above what your other buyers will pay, and you'll be a very happy person. Uh, with that, it has to be within their buy box. So you want to make sure you get their buy box. Generally, they're only buying newer homes. But on those newer homes, you can still make a lot of money. So it's pretty cool. The real hedge funds you want to find is you're going through like the land grid list. Uh, there's a few others. A few other websites I think that will show you who's the largest property owners in your area. Is when you get to where they own like 20 properties, like 10 to 20 properties, those are normally your favorite hedge funds because they're a little bit smaller. They want to be more aggressive. They're less oper- They're more operationally robust. You know, There's not a lot of bureaucracy. And so those guys can can make the decision for themselves, no inspection period or wave inspection period, wave appraisal, and just say, I'll buy that and I'll close in two days. And I'm gonna send you the earnest money check right now. So those guys are those guys are awesome. And uh, normally and the reason why they might only have uh, you know, twenty properties or whatever, and Joe just cut me off if I'm going too long on this. But uh, fine, good. Cool. Awesome. But the reason why they 
they might only have 20 properties is most of those guys work on like two, a lot of them work on like a two year cycle. So they'll buy, you know, maybe they've got 20 to 40 properties, but likely they've got multiple entities. You know I mean? They're not probably all in one entity to mitigate risk. So if you see an entity with 20 properties, there's a likelihood that the same purchaser there might have three or four of those, right? And they switch out entities after they fill the 20. And generally what they're doing is they're, they're buying and then they're waiting two years and then selling. And so they get appreciation, they get the rental income, they, uh, um, they, if they wanted to, I guess they could take depreciation or whatever, they avoid capital gains, all that fun stuff. And uh, um, so they're working on these deals have constant flow. And sometimes you can work on both ends of that cycle too. Like they'll start to bring you deals that they want to get rid of. Like the tenant ended up being terrible and destroyed all their stuff. Uh, you know, it's one out of the, one or two out of the 20 homes that they're like, Hey, we're not going to sell this retail. Just get us out for what we pay, you know, a little bit above what we're into it for. Um, but now you're a year and a half later. So it's a good deal if you've been in an appreciating market. So just those guys are fantastic buyers that you want to find as well. So anyhow, those are, yeah. those are like your four main categories of four or five main categories of, of buyers. If you separate like social media ads and uh, agent ads. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's good. So uh, hopefully our video and audio is okay for y'all. Um, either me or Josiah is a little choppy. I apologize. The audio is fine from what I'm hearing. It's all good. Um, I got a few more questions for you, Josiah. Um, why don't you guys, because you, you probably get top dollar when you can stick a property on the MLS right now in this market. Pretty much in any market, you can get top dollar by putting it on the MLS, right? So why aren't you, have you thought about this? Why don't you just take these properties down? Maybe throw clean it up a little bit, take the trash out, and relist it on the MLS. That's a that's a really good. I mean, it's definitely something to consider, right? Uh, and I think that there's an appropriate amount that maybe that's adequate. Where you say like, okay, yeah, we should do that for this particular property. Um, but the thing is, is, when you're doing extremely high volume, that's a lot of leverage or a lot of cash. You know what I mean? So in our case, we close everything in cash. Um, and the other part of that is we want to make sure our buyers are doing well. Like most of our buyers now are repeat buyers. A lot of our buyers are repeat buyers in our established markets. And that's because we make sure they make money on their flips. You know what I mean? So like that's important. Um, and so since because of that, there's just so much, it's so much operationally easier. So you save all the operational complexity if you just do a wholesale. And at scale, that's far, that's really worth it. Really, really worth it. And if you consider risk, you consider operational complexity and you factor all that in and timeframes. You know, like if you're doing a, a rehab, you're looking at, and even in a hot market, you might look at three to four months before you're getting your cash out on a good deal. Standard, in, even in a, a hot market on a, on a renovation, might be six months, right? Um, if, if it's pretty extensive. And so if you're going to do 50 deals a month and it's going to, you know, just as you start, that stockpiles. And so you go like pretty soon, you're like, holy crap, I've got tens of millions of dollars out in properties and you're not receiving the cash flows until you're six months out. So there's that. And then uh, you want to, of course, support your buyer base, right? So it's just the factoring all of that in and looking at it and saying like, okay, cool. Yeah. We, we, we're going to make, you know, maybe we're going to make 35% less, or maybe we're going to make 50% less here on this deal, but we're going to be able to move it and replace it with another one. So in the time that it would take for me to complete this one deal, I'm going to complete four or five. And so yeah. just operationally, the wholesale model works fantastically well. And that's why it's so cool because it works. It really is the most operationally efficient thing for us. But then it allows us to bless our buyers with deals that they're still going to make money on. And that's pretty awesome. So, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a whole quick nickel versus a slow dime, right? Yeah. And a totally. lot of times it's better to make the quick nickel. 
Because if the market does shift, you don't want to be caught with your pants down to your ankles, right? Like yeah. um, that would not be good. You know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're you have ten million dollars out on the street with these properties and you can't sell them. And yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about. Uh, I got a good question for you from Carl uh, um, Glenn here in just a minute. I want to ask you. Um, let's say though, uh, somebody just invests. They become a key a Keegley franchise owner, right? Yeah, Keegley franchise owner. Nice and, uh, how do they? How do you train them to go spread the word out to all of the other wholesalers and investors and realtors? that you're looking for deals. Um, it's finding the buyers is easy. And that's something that you just gave some great tips and advice for, but like, all right, now they need inventory. Uh, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you teach them to, to spread the word to find the wholesalers? Yeah. So that one's, I mean, and you know, when we, so when we bring on a franchise, we do two things. Right? So we do like an in, there's a bunch of online training that's completed before. And then we show up for an in, in week or in-person week training where that's here at the office and you work in with our teams. Um, and then sometimes we have people come back from immersion week where they basically come in as an act member and direct report to pretend as if they're a direct report to one of our GMs over an existing kind of the, as far as how we do it, that's how we do it. You know, as far as taking them through that process to make sure that when they're launched and they're doing it themselves, they know like bang on exactly what they need to do. And really as they're going through the training, we want to start to build, build that up. Um, the, as far as how we go after that, you've got a lot of really uh, some uh, very similar strategies in some way. It helps a lot that Keegley is pretty, pretty well known. You know what I mean? So like when someone shows up in a market, like if Jamil's like, Hey, I'm going to host a Keegley event. We'll have three, 400 people show up and there's probably going to be, you know, 75 suppliers, 75 ag wholesalers in there, right. That are wholesalers that focus on the acquisition side. And so that is maybe an unfair advantage. You know what I mean? Cause we can, we can do that. And then people can just like, Oh, sweet. Here's 75 suppliers. If you've got 75 suppliers that already know your brand, you're, it's a lot easier. You know, you're just starting off easier. If you're if you don't have any of that, right. Then you're, you've got a, you got a absolutely completely worthwhile road ahead or whatever, but that's just fine. And what's cool is as you're building up your base, you're going to do deals. You know, you're still going to do deals, um, but then you're kind of in a similar spot. So you're going to look for, you're going to Google wholesalers in a certain area, right? And go bananas on that and just go down there, every, add yourself to every single person's list. Don't be the type of person that's like, I don't want spam coming to my email. Be like, this isn't spam. This is your money. Like, this is how you're going to make money. Um, but go through, you know, type into Google, St. Louis wholesale property, St. Louis discount property, St. Louis auction properties and add yourself to every single person's list, right? Uh, go to Facebook and join every single group that has to do with investment property that you can possibly find, right? And post in there and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking to buy a property in this particular area. You know, I'm, looking to, I'm looking to pick up a deal here. Uh, or I'm looking to pick up a deal here. Anyone have an inventory? Anyone have anything they're looking to sell? Anyone have a 3-2 in, in Kierland area? Anyone have, you know, whatever. Post that stuff in there and people go bananas on there and, and uh, whatnot. Or... And it's same thing to build your list. You can post in there and be like, hey, I just got a deal in this area. You know, DM me if you want information or give me your email if you want info. People go bananas and add a million emails to those posts. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, that's how you can start to foster and build those relationships. The other thing that I would say is you're, if you're really going after it, and this is, if you're really going after it, we see that there's a tipping point about between three and six months where if you've been hitting your numbers 
and you've been really, really going after it, between three and six months, three months, you've built up the pipeline and something tips over about three and six months and you really start doing well. Yeah. Uh, so catch, a couple of deals, catch a couple of deals before that, but that's normally the time frame. That's a really, really good point. People quit and give up way too soon. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole principle of momentum. You know, it's like you're pulling a train with a, and you're and that first, it's really hard to pull that train, but as it starts gaining momentum, it becomes easier and easier. And then it becomes yeah. hard to stop. Yeah. And so it's just, you've got to be persistent. And so many people quit and give up. It, it annoys me and bothers me and breaks my heart because what? like, don't, you're so close, but you yeah. can't quit and give up. And, and here's the other thing I'd say to people listening to this. If you're just in this for like, I'm going to try it and see if it works, forget it. If, you know, it's like, I'm just going to buy this program, give it a month and see if it works or not. And then no, don't even do it. Like stop. Don't even waste your money. Save it, put it in a 401k stock market, something, right? Like you've mm-hmm. got to be committed to this business for at least six to 12 months mm-hmm. before you're willing to quit and give up because that it takes that kind of time, doesn't it? To build yeah. the momentum, to get to do the networking, to find the buyers, to find the sellers, bring these deals together. I love it. Yeah. And I think if I can even just play off that, riff off that yeah. really quick, and then we got to get to Carl's question, which we're excited for. Carl, we love you. You're awesome. Um, is uh, um, just like, the reality that if you're going to try and pass a final exam in college, you're going to study a whole semester for that. That's six months, right? Or four and a half months, whatever it is, right? If you want to be a, like a janitor, like a good janitor, before you're in rhythm, you know, like when you're in rhythm cleaning, you like know what you clean next and you know what chemicals to use and you like you're in motion, that can take six months. So it's like, give, your guy, give yourselves a chance, you know what I mean? Because it's freaking worth it. It's way better than, you know, you work six months to be a janitor, you work six months to pass a test. Okay, well, there's some gratification in that for sure, but this is way better. So <laughs> just hang in there, you know, like oh, yeah. feel, feel comfortable. It's not bad if it takes a little bit of time. Right? Man, I have, I, my, I used to work for my dad who has a cleaning business. It's one of the largest cleaning businesses in the Midwest. And I have cleaned, uh, I, I almost said hundreds, let's say dozens and dozens of kitchens at restaurants. Um, uh, office buildings, bathrooms, uh, <laughs> movie theaters. Yeah, I've done a lot of cleaning. I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a question from Glenn. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, Glenn asks, well, Josiah, cool. if you lost it all and had to start over, what would you do first? I'd pray. I'd definitely pray. That's so, awesome. yeah. I mean, God's awesome, guys. Like, he is so <laughs> dope. He literally, <laughs> he though. Is. Um, and so I think that was a turning point for me, man, is with, uh, I was in, I was really struggling. And I think what I was trying to do is I was trying to do it by my own strength. You know, you feel, you feel called, like you're supposed to be like, I, you know, it was so weird. Like I was driving kind of a beat up car and I just felt like this doesn't fit me. You know what I mean? Like I'm supposed to be something else. And I had set these really high expectations for myself. Like when I was 11, I, in my mind was like, I need to be a billionaire by uh, the time I'm 21. You know, because when you're 11, 21 seems old. All right. But I, I need to be a billionaire. And so I had set all of these expectations upon myself and tried to fulfill them in my own strength. And when you try to do that, there's not like you're going to get what you can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and you can do maybe not so much. At least I couldn't. You know, there's some people that absolutely can rock it themselves. And that's awesome. But that was me. You know what I mean? Um, and so there's a moment where I just said to God, basically, like, hey, God, um, I've been trying to do this in my own strength. And, you know, been basically saying what I want and trying to work for it. And instead, I, I just kind of surrendered to him and said, you know what? I want whatever your will is. Right. And I'm good with that. And so if that means 
you want me to be totally broke and be a missionary in India? That's what I'll do. You know, like I'll, I'll do that. And so I surrender my will to yours. And when I did that, one, I got a ton of peace, which I think is hugely important. And then two, God just started dropping blessings on me, like boom, 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 literally. Um, I mean, I've got, I went back and like tracked the, the stats of it or whatever. And it was like tripled my income in like six months. It was a, the weird stuff. You know, like when you hear a prosperity gospel person preach, whatever, and they just go bananas on that. Um, that was what happened. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, oh, that's weird. Um, you know, no comment on that. But anyhow, I just thought that that's what I would do. Literally. Yeah. Sometimes God does that, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, and, and, and um, I love it. That's a great answer. You know, I was half tempted to say, okay, what's the second thing you do? But you know what? That's, that's it. The second thing will take care of itself. I feel like if you really do care about that, um, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll tell you what to do next. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, st- don't worry about steps seven and eight. Yeah. Just do steps mm-hmm. one and two, mm-hmm. figure out steps one and two. Don't worry about all of the rest of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that's a great answer, Josiah. Dude, and that's some, that's some good wisdom on, on your part too, because people like, if I was listening to that, right. And you know, and I was Glenn, sorry, Glenn, love you to death. You're awesome. If I was Glenn, I'd be like, okay, so I would do exactly what you just said. You might have done. So that, okay, well, what's step two? Because I wonder what I was actually going to use. You know, like I want the next thing that I was actually going to use. Right. Yeah, yeah. And my, and so I'd like you stop it at one because literally that would be my challenge is make that your one, like make, go do that and see what happens. So that, yeah, love it. Super cool. <laughs> I love it. And I'm not even going to, yeah, I, I think that's really, really good. Cool. All right. Let me ask you my next question. And I, and, and I know some of you are like, well, okay, but then what, but then what? No, I'm, I don't want to ask that question right now. You got, you just go do step one. Um, and we've already told you what to do. Step two. Anyway, if you've been listening to this podcast, we've already told you. There's plenty of other good steps here to you guys. All right. Uh, what are some good books you're reading right now, Josiah? Ooh, I just got done with, uh, I think it's ready, ready, ready fire. fire aim. Yeah, by Michael Masterson or something. Yeah, I, I have that book. Oh, it's not in my office. It's 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 in my bedroom. I'm I'm going through it too right now. Yeah, better than I anticipated. I really, really like that book. Yeah, I really like that book. I thought that, and it spoke to a lot of different levels of entrepreneurship, which I also thought was good. And as honestly, like now looking back as our growth with Key Glee, being able to see like, oh, cool, you know, like yeah, that's what we that's what we did here. We struggled until we did this, and it's listed in the book. So I was I I was actually very pleasantly surprised with that book. Um, Ready other than that, aim. Yeah, and then other than that, I just read the book called Drive, which I think is very was a recommendation from um, our COO, and which I thought was a very very insightful into human motivation and especially important for your own motivation. Uh, and really, just talks about how I think I think what it's trying to, what it's illustrating and putting it to words way better than I can is that we're most happy as humans and we want to do things intrinsically we have motivation when our competency is here and the the challenge is like right here and so it's pushing us a little bit and you'll find yourself in like that state of flow where you're working on a project and you actually are enjoying it most for most entrepreneurs that's when they're coming up with the business idea and writing out how it's going to work that first brainstorm session right and calculating how much money they're going to make and they probably got some cool music on or something and they're in flow they really enjoy that. They like the building of the vision part of it, right? And then when they go to execute, they're like, oh, they don't have that same feeling. 
And it's because when you're executing, you start at the bottom rank. Like you got to be the, the CEO that's the visionary, which is the big idea, which is what you enjoy, which is honestly potentially more complex thinking. But now you have to go down and before you can build the business, you have to be the executor. And that person might just have to make, might just be texting the same text over and over and over again. And so that doesn't bring you that, that, that doesn't put you in a flow state. So this is hard and you have to keep working at it, right? But the reason why we do that and the reason why it's worth it is because we're going to build ourselves back up to being then being the manager, right? And then ultimately back up to where what we do all the time is that in that flow state, what you, you know, originally enjoyed where your competency is here, the challenge is here, and you're the visionary, you're coming up with the good stuff. Um, so that was Drive. And I thought Drive, Drive was a really good book. Is this a book by Daniel Pink? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, Drive. The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. Very cool. I don't agree with everything in that book, by the way, but I agree with the, the general concept. There's a couple of things in there where they talked about motivating that had to do with money. Um, and I thought some of that was maybe a little bit improper for, for sales positions, but a lot of it was really good. Good. And another book you want to talk about? Man, other books to talk about. I can talk about a lot of books. I mean, if you're just getting started, probably read what everyone says, Chris Foss. You know, I mean, like probably read Never Split the Difference. Never and, split the difference. And fanatical prospecting. So if you're in the first part of your business where you're the one on the front front end, read fanatical prospecting and never split the difference, right? Those two books are going to work, make you lots and lots of money in this business. Fanatical prospecting is basically work hard and, and gives you a concept of how building pipelines work, which is very important because that's what you're starting out. And then um, switching into, so that's fanatical prospecting, switching into Chris Voss's book, Never Slip the Difference, that's going to teach you how to negotiate and give you lots of amazing skills so you don't slip up and do dumb things and lose money on deals. So that'll save you a ton and make you a ton of money, right? That's Chris Voss. If you're in the part of your business now that you've got a little bit of a team, you should read Gino Wickman's tra- uh, Traction, if you haven't read that. The book's phenomenal. Um, but like, And it's actually sitting on my desk right now. Um, but like some of the stuff that's in this book, if I can find this really quickly... I mean, this book is just freaking fire. Like, this is such a good book. But this is when you start that um, you start that change from being all creation. You know, like you're all creating. You're just you're figuring things out. You're being innovative. So now you need to be operationally efficient as well. You need to lock in your gains, solidify that foundation you've built. That's when you got to do traction. And it's got dope stuff. Like, this is a checklist to show you like how well you're organized, right? And make sure you have all these components in there. Um, so traction is fire. It's really good. Uh, other than that, read Proverbs, right? People intrinsically think that uh, that you've got like an archetypal moral compass that's just built into you. And then therefore, you know how to do business and interact. You don't, right? Unfortunately, like we don't, unfortunately. And you need to know how to respond to certain things because uh, you're going to get issues and challenging circumstances or things that could be challenging that don't have to be. And uh, that could look like the way I see lots of entrepreneurs get caught up is someone telling them that they're doing something entirely wrong or that they're being, that they're, they're being immoral when they're not right. And so, especially if you're a moral person, someone's telling you being immoral or you're doing something wrong or you're spiteful or hateful or whatever. Most of that's gossip driven. And most of that's you did something and they made, they saw it, sent it through all of their insecurities and everything else and made it mean something entirely different. Like, uh, I mean, I've got plenty of fun examples, right? But uh, um, where you called, maybe it's, you know, you called on a deal and said, hey, can I get a discount? And it was right before close of escrow, right? And you were just calling because, you know, you feel like it's part of your duty to get the best deal for 
your family. And uh, so that's why you call right before to ask. And the other person doesn't take it as like you're looking out for your family. They take it as like you hate them personally and you're a terrible business person and, and all types of everything else. Right. And so you need to know when if you've got a solid moral compass, you don't get shaken up when people respond incorrectly to what you did. Right. Mm-hmm. They call you and say, man, you really messed up and you don't know what you did. Right. Chances are either you've got a perverted moral compass or they're just straight up wrong. Right. And so to avoid the making sure you don't have a perverted moral compass. So that way you can stand on your own two feet and say, no, you guys are wrong. Uh, that's where I say Proverbs. Um, I love that. I've never heard of it that way before, but that's good. Cool. Love it. Well, yeah. Yeah. So those are my, I guess, current book suggestions. There's other it. Cool. Ones. Book of Proverbs. I re- I try to read one Proverbs a day. It's awesome. Uh, the other book you talked about was Drive by uh, David Pink, I believe. Daniel. You talked about uh, uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blount, Blount from salesgravy.com. That looks like a really good book. I've not heard of that. I'm going to get it. Jamil turned me on to that book, by the way. Really Who did? Jamil. Yeah, yeah, really? Yep. Awesome. And then you mentioned Attraction, which is a uh, heavy, deep book. I read that book and I, I halfway through, and I got overwhelmed, like all this stuff I got to do. But some people <laughs> love it. Yeah. And uh, so... Depends on where you're at in your business. You need that operational efficiency once you get to scale. Before you're at scale, it's actually destructive. So you That's you need a to, great point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got to decide. Uh, the other book we mentioned before, too, was Ready, Fire, Aim by uh, Masterson. Uh, great, great book. Cool. So, Josiah, how can people get a hold of you? Um, and how can if people want more information about Keegly, where can they go? Ooh, good question, man. So uh, I guess probably easiest, keegly.com is a great place to start, right? Uh, you're more than welcome to email me. I will likely not respond because I love you to death, but just because literally I don't get to my emails very often. Um, but uh, what normally will happen is my assistant will take the email and if she can respond to it, she will. Otherwise, she'll try and put it on my calendar and I will respond to as many people as possible, uh, per- not purposely trying not to respond. Um, but keegly.com, josiah at keegly.com. Uh, and keeglyfranchising.com. If you're interested in a franchise or you want to talk to someone, you can book a call to talk to someone there uh, and just figure out what it's about. Just attend like a discovery day where you can come out and actually see the office in action, what that looks like. Uh, and we'd love to have you out for that. So, yeah. Yeah, really good. I'm looking at your website right now, keegly.com, K-E-Y-G-L-E-E.com. And I put it on the on the window there. And there's also, when you go to that site, there's a, a menu at the top for franchising and learn how to become a franchise owner. Um, really cool. You've got, oh, you got a, you got a franchise in St. Louis. I didn't know that. Super cool. Oh, yeah. All right. Hey, Josiah, thanks for being here. Sure appreciate it. Hey, good to hang out. Good to see everyone. Carl, really, really good. Thank you. All right. Good, man. Well, have a, uh, have a good rest of the day. And uh, Josiah, we'll see you later. Thanks, everybody, again, for listening and watching the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And uh, we appreciate it. Again, one more time, go to check out uh, partnerwithjoe.net if you want to work with me on deals and uh, get my offer calculator. Uh, We'll see you guys later. Thanks, Josiah.